Thank you, uh, Dean, for reading the scripture again today. There's something that I want to point out here before I... Um, we're going to do kind of a flying review of the points I touched on last Sunday. This is supposed to be one Sunday sermon, and it's not turning out to be that. Um, but uh, something I want to point out to you as... Uh, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, in, in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, as a prisoner of the, for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I think that's important to understand here because what, what Paul says after that is things that talk about what that life looks like. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So he's telling us, live a life worthy of the calling of you, uh, you have received, and here's what it looks like. And then he goes on to talk about all these things. One, 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 one. Unity. One body, one spirit, one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Do you hear it? It's all over that scripture. And we talked last week about the fact that very often those disruptions, those things that cause disunity and offense and things like that in the body of Christ are little stuff. Remember my chicken gun illustration? And... Even think about what's a speck of dust in your eye like. Uh, yeah, it's annoying. It can be painful. Um, you know, I, uh, when I worked for Walker Manufacturing, I got, uh, once in a while, I would get uh, a metal sliver in my finger. A little tiny thing. But boy, did I know it was there. <laughs> and it just doesn't take much to disrupt, does it? Um, and, and very often, uh, unfortunately, in the body of Christ, it's these kinds of things that, if we looked at the big picture of things, would really be inconsequential, inconsequential or insignificant, and yet they become issues that can be divisive in a church body. And here's the sad thing. Sometimes it's mature believers who cause a fuss because they don't get their way or something happened that offended them. And something else that we needed to be reminded of was, um, where does this stuff come from? Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where it comes from. Folks, when, when we... Attack these things in prayer. That's what we need to understand and realize. Who, who in the world wants to cause division in the body of Christ? The enemy of our souls does. If he can do anything possible to make the church ineffective, he will do that. So we need to be cautious against lashing out of, at, at, at those we see as opponents or the enemy. We need to remember who the enemy really is. And then we talked about those wedges that divide. Um, I was, when we lived on the coast, we heated our home entirely with wood. And so I had about four and a half, five cords of wood that I had to, to well, we would 
a lot of times we defraud trees and what they call buck them up, cut them into to links into sections, and we'd load those on the pickup, and I'd take them home and unload them. And and a lot, you know, one of my my favorite wood was hemlock, and it's uh, uh it's you get a lot of BTUs out of it, and it doesn't create a lot of ash. And but the problem is, it's not always very straight grained. And if you've ever split wood, you know that if something isn't straight grained, it can be pretty hard work. Not a splitting mall. And I remember sometimes, boom, that thing would bounce back at me. And so what do you need? You need a wedge. You know, I had rounds that were this big sometimes. That wedge is only about this long and about that wide at the top, and it narrows down at the tip. It's not a very big thing. But guess what? If I was able to take that maul and drive that wedge into that hemlock stump, I could begin splitting that thing apart. It was amazing what something the size of a wedge could do to break that log apart. And there are things like that that sometimes we have to deal with in the body of Christ, in the church. Wedges that divide. The first one was an unwillingness to forgive. Forget it. I'm too deeply hurt. Or you didn't ask me forgiveness. Or you'll just do it again, so why bother? Or you don't deserve to be forgiven. And we kind of talked about that one for a minute, didn't we? We assign motive. In other words, they did that on purpose. We do that sometimes. Just to make me mad. Just to hurt me. Just to embarrass me. To make me jealous. Whatever it might be. Sometimes it's a personal agenda. This is how I think it should be. And if it doesn't happen that way... We're going to hear about it. And sometimes it's obsessing over the inconsequential. We kind of forget the big picture view, don't we? You know, I really wanted to see a screen in the center. And if I can have a screen in the center, I'm out of here. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? We laugh about it, but unfortunately that becomes a big deal sometimes. And remember some of the silly stuff that I read to you that churches have been in major conflict over, like which picture of Jesus do we hang in the foyer? Can you imagine that causing a war? It did in a church. So this morning I want to begin at the point where it says the negative impact of disunity. The negative impact of disunity. And I'm going to touch on three things this morning and we could probably make a list that was much longer than that. But let's start with this one. Disunity hampers our ability to evangelize. Folks, that's that's one of the primary reasons the church exists and if Satan can make us ineffective in that area, he's, he's feeling like he's won a victory. And he probably has. Charles Colson said, The message is clear. The world isn't looking at our tracts and rallies and telecasts and study manuals. It is looking at us and how we behave. When it fails to see the unity of Jesus' followers, the church... It fails to see the validation that Christ is indeed the Son of the living God. 
Which brings us, he says, to a critical reason for unity. The world. Aggressive secularists don't care whether we are Eastern Orthodox or Baptist or Charismatic. They can't distinguish between post and premillennialism. Nor would they care if they could. They want only to discredit the church because its views are hostile to their own worldview. So, when we are divided, quarreling among ourselves, we play right into their hands, diminishing our own already weakened influence. And I think we understand that while I think the church, especially in America, realizes we're struggling enough to be effective in the world where we live without allowing something to enter that decreases our effectiveness even more. Amen. Thank you, Dan. If you have a complaint... If you have been hurt or offended by someone in the church, if at some point you disagree with the decision that has been made, please keep it between you and the offender or offended party. Amen. Avoid the temptation to share your issue with others in the church. And don't even think of sharing your issue with others outside the church. They've already got enough sticks to beat us with, don't they? In other words, don't air your dirty laundry. Because when you do, word gets around. And sometimes, you know, within the church, the body of Christ, the offended the hurt person may have a tendency to ask, how could someone who is a Christian do that to me? Oh, how could they? But here's the other side of that coin. If the offended responds wrongly, a question that is just as valid would be, how could someone who is a Christian react that way? Oops. Listen, the world needs to see that what we claim Jesus can do in a person's life is real. The world needs to see that what we claim Jesus can do in a person's life is real. Why would people... Come to a Jesus whose followers can't get along. So let's sing. Is there anything the Scripture can help us with this? Ah, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Self-control, yeah. Well, if that food's hanging on the tree of your life, you're going to do okay when that stuff comes up, aren't you? How about Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14? Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with these things. Compassion, kindness, humility, 
gentleness, patience. This is kind of an important one, this next verse. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love that binds them all together in perfect unity. I used to do a uh, wedding sermon on this passage. And, you know, I talk about... You know, I, I, I've never sewed anything together in my life. So, it, it, ladies, if I'm ignorant here, please excuse me. But I think about, you know, uh, this sweater is not one piece. I mean, it's got sleeves that are sewed on, and I think the collars... I mean, most pieces of clothing are like that. So you could say, you know... Uh, Compassion, kindness, gentleness. I mean, the, but guess what the thread is that brings that all together? Love. Love. That's what holds it all together. And folks, we're supposed to be a people who's, uh, through whom the love of Jesus flows. Right? Amen. And if that's true, then we're able to deal with some of these things that Irritate us or offend us or hurt us effectively, graciously, compassionately, understandingly. Yes? Yeah. Mm. Disunity affects our ability to worship. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear it? There it is again. That unity thing. We cannot worship with one heart and one mouth if we are divided in spirit from one another. Amen again. Um, you know that song we sing? We bring the sacrifice of praise. Okay? That sound familiar? Well, say, Pastor, when you sing it, it doesn't sound familiar, but... <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That, that actually comes from a Scripture verse, or at least I think it comes from this Scripture verse. Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Um, and we used to sing that song based on this verse. Oh, here it is. I've got it. All the words. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Into the house of the Lord, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of praise. Now, I have to stop for a minute and think, well, if, if we're offering God a sacrifice, my mind goes to the idea or the thought or what the Scripture says about the sacrifices that God required the people of Israel to bring to Him. So let's think a minute for, about those. What were some criteria that applied to the sacrifices that God required the people of Israel to bring to Him? Perfection. 
pure. Without blemish. blemish. Okay? Right on. You guys get an A. It was the best you had to offer. So if there is disunity among God's people, can we worship in spirit and in truth? Can we bring a sacrifice of praise that is unblemished, that is perfect, that is the best we have to offer, that is acceptable to God? And we need to remember this too, that a barrier barrier of disunity between us and another member or members of the body is essentially a barrier between us and God. And any time there's a barrier between us and God, it hampers our ability to worship. Yeah. Yeah. The third issue here is disunity is damaging to relationships. I don't think we have to think about that one very long to understand the truth of it. And apparently, uh, the Apostle Paul was dealing with some things like that in the early church in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And this is from the New Living Translation. He, he writes, Now I, uh, I appeal to you, Euodia and Syntyche. Neat names, yeah. Please... Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Please. And I ask you, my true partner, he goes on to say, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. You've got a problem here. There's some disagreement. There's some separation being created here. Um, and, and where, you know, where Paul, uh, uh, says, I appeal to you, Euodia and Syntyche, if you look at some of the other translations, that word is plead or beseech. It's emphatic. And that was because, as one commentator states, their dissensions were disturbing the peace of the church. P-E-A-C-E. Their dissensions were disturbing the peace of the church. So it seems that their disagreement, whatever it may have been, was affecting more than just their relationship with each other. It was having a ripple effect in the church as well. And maybe Syntyche and Euodia, by the way, I don't know why this dumb stuff occurs to me sometimes. You know, um, it's kind of cool now to name your kids unusual names, so. I'd like to introduce my daughter, Sintiki. But if there was this issue that was having ripple effects in the church, do you think maybe Euodia or Sintiki? Or both had succumbed to the temptation to kind of gather this, hey, do you know what Euodia did to me? Do you know what Syntyche said to me? 
Now we've each got a team. A crew of sympathizers. And they're patting us on the back. You poor thing. She was really mean to you. That wasn't Christ-like at all. You're right. She's wrong. I can't believe she did that to you. You're right. She's wrong. Sound familiar? Now, there's something in this verse that I think is important. In this passage I just read to you. Paul said, And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. Paul was encouraging the involvement of another member of the church in this situation. For counsel, for mediation, for a different perspective. The potential for damage to relationships was important enough that Paul felt it necessary to involve a third party. We got to get this stopped. We got to get this fixed. We've got to get this healed. Because the potential here for damage and disunity and division is too great. Let's deal with this. And sometimes when Euodia is over here saying, hey, you know what happened to me? And Syntyche's over here saying, you know what happened to me? That person they talk to needs to say, stop. Amen. Stop. Let's think about this. Let's think about the potential consequences of this. Let's think how important this really is in the big picture. Is this inconsequential? Do you have your own agenda here? Maybe you just need to let go and forgive. So Paul understood the importance of dealing with this issue that was happening in the Philippian church. And because he understood the importance of it, he not only pleaded, beseeched, appealed to Euodia and Syntyche, but he asked someone else to get involved in making sure that there would be healing that occurred in this situation. You know, I, I wouldn't claim to know what Paul was thinking when he wrote all of this, but had, had it been me, my thoughts would have followed this line. Talking to this person that I wanted to get involved to help bring healing to this situation. My true partner... Help these women settle their differences because if they don't and people take sides, there will be more than just a relationship issue between Syntyche and Euodia that will be damaged. Right down the middle. And it grieves the heart of God, doesn't it? Kind of interesting. You know, I talked before about mature believers that we can fall prey to this sometimes, this whole thing of I'm offended, I'm hurt. Why'd you do that to me? Paul and Barnabas chose to go their separate ways because of a disagreement. Do you remember that? Mature guys. I mean, these are... I mean, it's like, whoa. Acts 15 Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Man, great mission. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Here's the good thing. God doesn't hide the warts. You know what I'm saying? He just tells us like it is. Stuff happened. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So, listen folks, we're talking about people we would consider spiritual giants here, and they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company for a while. If you keep on reading, you'll find out there's a point later in time when Paul kind of embraced John Mark again. But at this point, they chose to go their separate ways. Charles Spurgeon said this, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. And as we talk just now, we understand what disunity can do. So, let's talk about maintaining unity because it's our responsibility. God brings unity. It's our job to maintain it. Ephesians 4, verse 3, ESV, English Standard Version, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That should characterize us. We are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What do we do? How do we do that? We pray. We pray. It's amazing what prayer can do when applied to a situation. It's amazing how prayer can change your perspective. It's amazing how... Prayer can change your feelings toward that person that you're feeling separation from or anger toward or whatever it may be. Apply prayer. And here's the thing about it. When we, when we pray, we're asking God to get involved in the situation. It's not just about our ability to cope with it. It's about the power of God in us helping us to cope with that situation and dealing with it in a way that's gracious and healing rather than destructive. Here's something else we can do. And we touched on this last week. We can forgive. And listen, forgiveness is generally more about you than the person you are forgiving. Um, preacher friend of mine, Ron Rhodes, he's with Jesus now. And we were pastoring in Eastern Oregon. He did a whole series, a, a week-long revival series on this topic of forgiveness. And I'll never forget, he said this, The thickest walls of any prison are the walls of unforgiveness. And the person caught inside is you. We think when we won't forgive somebody, we're somehow imprisoning them. No, it's you. You're the one standing behind the bars looking out. You're not looking in, you're looking out. And listen, as long as we choose not to forgive, we are tied to that situation. You're chained to that event or whatever happened to you. Break the chains. Let go. Forgive. Don't trap yourself like that. 
And please avoid what I call the surprise I forgive you. Oh, Bill, by the way, I forgive you. And Bill's going, what? For what? What did I do? Basically, I'm saying, you know, Bill, you were wrong. I was right. And I forgive you. And Bill walks away thinking, wow, that's the surprise I forgive you. And that's the crazy thing about this is so often, again, when we refuse to forgive, that other person who doesn't even know what they did goes on with their life and everything's great and you're... You're asking, what I do? I didn't even know we had an issue. Sometimes forgiveness may have to be kept between you and God. You may just, listen, we already talked about, and we read it again today, forgive as God forgave you. God forgives freely. He forgives anything. You ever heard of the unforgivable sin? Here's, here's the conclusion I've come to. The only unforgivable sin before God is the failure to ask forgiveness. He can't forgive a sin we don't ask forgiveness for. And the Holy Spirit's telling us, go to God. So forgiveness sometimes may be, have to kept, may be kept between you and God. Just God you, and you, you may say, God, I want to be able to forgive whoever for what they did to me. The way they hurt me, the way they offended me, whatever it was. You know, they're going on with life. They don't even know that this really happened, that you were offended or hurt. But I want to obey you. And I don't feel like forgiving, but I want to obey you. Listen, God goes to work in your life at that point. And for those who think, well, now everything's better and I'll go on with life. Sometimes it takes a while for what you've decided in your mind and what you feel in your heart to match up. Corey Tenboon talked one time about, you know, uh, she, her family died in a German concentration camp. And she spoke a lot on forgiveness. Forg- forgiving her captors, her persecutors, and then what they'd done to take the lives of her family members. And she was speaking in a, in a, in a big, to a big group one time. She looked out there, and there she saw one of the, the guards, the German guards that she knew, and all of a sudden, welled up in her life. So she went to her pastor. She said, I thought I'd forgiven. And the pastor said, well, Corey, you, and we don't have them too much here in the United States of America. Some we do, but... You know, the, the, the bells that used to be in the bell towers of churches and in Europe, there's still a lot of them like that. He said, forgiveness is like a bell that you've been ringing. And as long as you choose not to forgive, you're still, you're still yanking on that. You know, you're keeping that bell ringing. I do not forgive you. I do not forgive you. But he says, once you choose to forgive, you let go of the rope. But the bell doesn't quit ringing, quite a, quit ringing right away, does it? Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding. 
And he said, that's what you were experiencing today. But you've chosen to forgive. And someday, the bell's going to quit ringing. And when you see that individual who hurt you, who harmed you, who sinned against you, those feelings aren't going to well up anymore. Because you've chosen to forgive. Something else we can do is extend grace to people. I mean, we wouldn't have to if everybody was as perfect as we are, but they're not. So we have to extend grace to people, don't we? Paul says that God has lavished His grace on us. Did you hear that? Lavished. What's that word mean to you? I mean, to me it sounds like, you know, take a big bucket and just dump grace all over us. God has lavished His grace on us. And if, if perfect God, sinless, holy God, is willing to grace us, who are we, who are we who are imperfect, who are we not to grace others? And isn't it interesting that some who are not willing to grace the failings of others want to be graced when they fail? It's, it's what we do. Folks, we have to learn to extend grace. And then we need to practice verse 2 of our text today. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Well, there's a lot to be said for humility. There's a lot to be said for patience. There's a lot to be said for bearing with one another, isn't there? In love. That should be the motivating factor. Love. Love. We love one another. God loved us. We love one another. And we're not talking about some of those Greek words for love that have, you know, the eros, the male-female attraction kind of love. We're not talking just about phileo, that friendship love, although that's important. We're talking about unconditional agapao, agape love, unconditional love, love that accepts people with every, all the stuff that comes with them. Even if it's not pretty, even if it's not easy to deal with, we love them anyway because that's how God loves us. Boy, am I grateful. And then, finally, make unity the priority over your issue. <laughs> make unity the priority over your issue. Let's be honest, there are a lot of issues that are not that important and just not worth the trouble or the potential of causing disunity and division. Now, uh, let me step back here and say something that I made reference to last week. I'm not talking here about issues of integrity or morality or theology. There are sometimes reasons when we need to say we must part company here. But, folks, the vast majority of issues that arise in churches and that split relationships apart and split churches down the middle are not issues of integrity or morality or theology. It's just dumb stuff that people can't get over. 
And we need to make unity the issue over those, um, yeah, the priority over those kinds of issues. And all the people said, Amen. So we have a question we need to ask ourselves. Because remember, God brings unity to a people. It's our job to maintain it. Here's the question. How can I help maintain unity in our church? And we're going to, um, we're going to share together in a time of communion. And if I could have those who will be serving us this morning prepare. And, and would you go ahead and come and begin serving us this morning? Because, folks, this is all about unity and oneness. We're gathering around the Lord's table as the body of Christ. Just a reminder this morning, you need not be a member of our church to partake of communion. And please hold the elements and we will all partake together.